Well, Father, we thank you that you have been taking us on a journey this year of what it looks like to have you central and as the foundation of everything that we are and everything that we do. And so, Father, just as uh, you've put it on my heart to share these specific things, you put it on Steve's heart to ask me, Lord, I just ask that you open the hearts of everybody listening, whether it's today or later, that they will hear the things about you concerning making disciples. And how it was such a great mission that you sowed your time into so many people to make them a disciple of the king. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in the series, The Centrality of Jesus, and uh, we've been talking about what it looks like to lay him as the foundation of everything we are and everything we do. And so we've talked about Noah's person, and, and we're just in Noah's work. <laughs> like, we're just here. We're going to also go in to know, know and obey his teaching, know his authority, and know his voice. But as we've been in um, knowing his work uh, and the works of Jesus, it's looked like uh, Steve's covered how he came to reintroduce the kingdom of God to us by putting the spirit of God in us and uh, so he can extend it throughout us. As well as he came to destroy the works of the devil, he initiated and established a new covenant and... um, He came not to judge, but for judgment on spiritual blindness. Was that not good last week? Yeah. Was that not so good? Well, the next thing we're going to hit on the works of Jesus is he came to make disciples. And so if he came to make disciples, we first need to know what in the world that 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 looks like. And so here our definition of a disciple is someone that abides in him, which creates this deep desire to like walk in the ways of Jesus. And it's not a head desire. So when you, when you sit with the Lord, like he moves upon your heart to be like him, right? And so as you sit with the Lord and you stay connected to him and he moves upon your heart to be like him, it's not something you go in effort to do. You don't go try to be kind. But actually, as you're connected as a branch to the vine, you become somebody that looks like Jesus in the character and nature and also our obedience. So if he says, like, for instance, this morning, he's asked Steve to be in Kids of Grace. And so Steve's obedience, because he lives connected to Jesus, because he abides, he's like, absolutely. And so he says, sign me up. I'm going in. And I'm going to preach the kingdom of God to kindergarten through fifth graders, right? Instead of adults. And so out of that character and nature, then he presses on our hearts to go and do do the works of him. Like if you saw Jesus do something in the Bible, then that is a work. Whether it's preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, um, whether it's... um, just to be compassionate to somebody, to help them, to feed them, 
um, anything like that. That is a work of Jesus. But what we saw him do is we saw him make disciples. And what that is, it's really simple. You invest your life in others. It's really hard, though, because you lay your life down for others to make them better. Like you put your desires and yourself to the side to make them better. And we saw Jesus do that over and over again. And so as we look at the disciple, what a disciple is, I want you to envision this image when we say a disciple. Because these arrows are vitally important. It is not anything separate and a part of abiding. It all flows from abiding. So as you stay connected to the Lord, you become more like him. And then you go and do those things as you stay connected and as you look like him. Because I've seen people pray for people and they've been really snotty or mean or had no compassion. Anybody experience people like that? Okay. All right. I just wondered if I was the only one. We don't want to do that. We want to live a life so connected to him. And like the church, the world is crying out for this, but definitely the church is crying out for people who actually model a life that's worth imitating. Like the church wants people that they can see face to face, that they can look into their eyes and say, I see Jesus in you and I want to be like that. Like the church is crying out for that. One that looks like Jesus to see somebody that actually can be a disciple of Jesus and not a manager of kingdom things. Think about how many times that we go and we try to be a manager of kingdom things rather than being a disciple that abides in him, walks in his ways, and does his works and is a representation of Jesus Christ that people want to imitate. They don't want to imitate me, but I guarantee you when you come into a relationship with me, you're going to be able to tell what is Gretchen and what is Jesus really fast. Right? Everybody that's close to me should be saying amen really loud. Thank you, Ron. Right? Because you, you, you know what Jesus looks like. And so what does it really look like for a mom of boys that works full-time, that disciples people, that goes to sporting events, that's involved in the community? What does it really look like to embody the characteristics of Jesus? And when is it flesh and Gretchen? Like, that's what I'm talking about. We can, we want to imitate Jesus all day long, but we didn't see Jesus be a mom of three boys, right? And so having disciples of Jesus that we can look eye to eye, that we can ask those questions, that we can wonder, like, what does it look like to walk through a miscarriage? What does it look like to walk through a death of a parent and a divorce and all of these things? Like when, when we can look eye to eye with somebody and we can ask those questions and then we can walk the walk of Jesus with them and they can see the fruit of him and they can see the flesh of us all together. Because if we truly are a disciple of Jesus, we know that we're always growing and we are not perfect, right? 
There are some mornings that I wake up and I am not connected to Jesus. Amen? Anybody that lives with me or works with me should know that. So there was a process that Jesus laid out and demonstrated um, in making disciples. And so I want to take you through that process fairly quickly. We're going to start uh, with come and follow. Matthew four eighteen through 22, Jesus said, or Jesus asked some disciples to come and follow him, right? So this is at the beginning of his ministry. Like when he gets out and he starts doing, doing ministry, he asks him and it says, and Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's also recorded in Mark 1, if you want to look at the parallel there. But, <clears throat> like, this is something that we all hear, right? Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. But what in the world does that really mean in today's world? What does that look like in 2021 to follow Jesus to become fishers of men? And so when you look into that verse um, and into this passage, like Jesus speaks very directly and clearly to these men. He doesn't say like, it's not some like democratic vote of like, hey, would you like to come follow me? And would you like to vote on where we're going and what we're going to be doing? And then that way, so you, then you can decide, right? No, it was very direct, very clear. Just come and follow me. And the end result is I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now you've caught fish your whole life. Obviously, they are fishers, so they know, fishermen, so they know what it means to catch something and bring it in. But what in the world does it really look like to catch men and bring them in? And, and let me just let you guys know in case you're questioning, that word men is gender neutral, and so it's just mankind. So they're, they are, Jesus is saying, I'm going to teach you how to catch men and women and bring them in. To do this over again, over and over. Those words will make you reminds me of the new covenant because it means to manufacture and to cause. It reminds me of Ezekiel 36 where it says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to keep my commandments. So when it says, uh, that's the slide before, isn't it? When it says, I will make you fishers of men, he's going to cause you from the inside to want to fish for men. So let me ask you this. If you aren't being compelled to fish for men, are you a disciple of Jesus? Like that was a question I had to ask myself. That was a question my husband asked about six months ago. He said, do you really think we're a disciple of Jesus if we're not discipling? And so he causes us to do it. He doesn't force us, but like that drawing's there. It also means to make them fit 
or qualify them for fishing. Make them fit to fish. If you're going to go fish, in fact, back in these days, you're going to need a boat and a net and probably some type of um, place to put the fish in when they come in. I don't know. I'm not a great fisher person. I love to go fishing, but uh, I don't bait a hook. I don't really cast much, and I don't take anything off the hook, right? Right? But I love to go. Yeah? So if it's in the boat, I sit in the boat, I lay in the boat, I listen to an audio book with one ear in, and, you know, I enjoy the sun, and I enjoy listening to all the stories, and I video, and I take pictures. That is probably not the qualifying that Jesus is talking about here, right? But... It says, I'm going to qualify you to fish for people. I'm going to cause you internally inside, and then I'm going to qualify you to fish for people. And so what does that common follow look like for us? And and we saw it with the disciples, but we begin to live connected to Jesus. We abide in him in the loving union of the indwelling life of Christ. Now go back to the definition of a disciple. When he says, come and follow, he is inviting them in to a relationship. He is inviting them in to something. I guarantee you, they had to have been a little scared and a little nervous. They just left everything that they knew. Now, they did kind of come a little bit in pairs. They were at least familiar with each other. So like if Jody and I were going somewhere together, we'd be like, oh my gosh, what do you think about this? Like, is this person crazy? Should we leave? Is this somewhere we should stay? Or we'd look at each other and go, we are going in. How about you? Yes, we're going. We're doing this together. We're all in, right? I'm sure there was a lot of those kind of talks. But if you go back to the definition of a disciple, a disciple is somebody that abides in him. Very first and foremost, it's all about relationship. And that's how Jesus calls them to come and follow. It's all about relationship. And we get connected to each other, not just to him. And it's for spurring one another on to love and good deeds. It's to encourage each other when doubts come and when situations happen. When your kid is freaking out and you have no clue what to do or they won't turn in their homework or you lost another baby or your parent died or COVID's hit your home, like you don't know what to do and so you go to each other because you're connected to each other and you're able to spur one another on to love and good deeds and encourage them. Now there's a ton of excitement in the come and follow stage. Like it is all about hanging out with Jesus and each other, right? It's like the family reunions that you love to go to. Do any of you have those? Man, you guys need a new family. I should just invite them all to mine, right? Yeah. Yeah, those family reunions that you love to go to, or let's say those friend gatherings that you love to go to. That's what it's about. And so like he gets, he gets you so connected. He got the disciples so connected in relationship 
and just the excitement of what's going to happen. He does tell him the end game. You're going to fish for people at the end. And then the next thing he tells him in Luke 9, you're going to die. You just said yes to this invitation, and now I'm going to put forth a challenge to you, and you're going to die. And so Luke 9, 22 through 25 says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me. Now, that just means follow me. If anyone desires to follow me. But they all just said yes to following him, right? He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they dropped their nets and he immediately went. They didn't have any question, no hesitation. Immediately they went. Well, now he's saying, now if you desire to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. So there's more to it than just coming and following. Here's the second part of that. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself destroyed or lost? And so right here, the Lord says, invitation to come and follow me. Here's the challenge. You're going to die. You have to pick up your cross. You have to deny yourself and you have to follow me. Now, I will tell you this. Steve is in earth shakers today. And I will tell you not all the time is earth shakers easy. Like they love the Lord and they love to worship. But it is not always easy. They are kindergarten through fifth graders. And our boys, for sure, will fight and bicker with each other and jab and poke and, you know, take things from each other, right? You guys generally don't do this on a Sunday morning in here. <laughs> right? And so, so think about this. The invitation that Steve was given from the Lord is to come and follow me. Like, I want you to be in relationship. I'm going to teach you how to preach the gospel. I'm going to equip you how to uh, partner with my spirit to move upon the hearts of people. And now I want you to go and die because I'm going to send you into earth shakers. (laughs) And I'm going to teach you a new way to preach the gospel and to partner with my spirit to move on the hearts of people. Those that the kingdom belongs to. Those that aren't going to do everything you asked the first time. Those that have lives behind closed doors that it would make you want to throw up to know about. Like I am going to teach you how to bring the kingdom of God into that. So it's a challenge Every time the Lord gives us an invitation, he's going to bring a challenge. And that's what it looks like when he makes disciples. So what does it look like in come and die? This is where his character 
and his nature is formed in us. As we begin to die to the things that he shows us, true transformation takes place. So how many of you want to look like Jesus? Like how many of you really are like, I want to be kind to somebody when they're mean to me? Like this is what we have to do. It's not just come and stay cozy. It's not come and enjoy the invitation of his presence. But it is also the time when he puts his finger on something and you have to die to yourself in that moment for him to live. We begin to get grounded in our identity in Christ and walk more in the reality that the truest thing about us is what God says about us. Like that happens when you choose to pick up your cross and die to things and follow him. We learn to live in God's new covenant economy versus transactional living with him and others. So what this looks like, when you are being made into a disciple and you have the rhythm of invitation and challenge, not only from the Lord, but as a leader investing and pouring into your life, like you have somebody that looks at you and says, how you just explained the interaction that you had with your spouse is completely old covenant and transactional. So how would the Lord ask you to fix this mess? And how would the Lord ask you to move forward with a new covenant economy lens and with your identity securely and grounded in him versus the instability of transactional living? That's what it looks like. To ask yourself the hard questions, let somebody else ask you the hard questions, And listen to the Lord's voice for how you're going to walk out your obedience. Remember to be developed as a disciple and you abide in him and you walk in his ways. His character and nature is formed in us. And part of that is through our obedience. Every time that we hear the voice of the Lord and we obey him, transformation takes place little by little. And it's not fun. (laughs) Like, Nobody's really enjoyed taking up their cross and denying themselves. But when it's said and done, like there is such joy and value and freedom when it comes to you obeying the voice of the Lord and dying to the things of yourself. Jesus knew that the disciples needed to go through pressures of life, temptations, threats, and discouragements to get to a very low point in their life before they would really understand what it looks like to cleave to him. It's really easy to cleave to Jesus when things are going really great. But as he starts taking them through the process, like in Luke 9, where he talks about dying and taking up your cross, that is when you really learn what it looks like to cleave to Jesus. And then he shifts again on them. 
Like if you look at the Gospels, his rhythm throughout the Gospels is invitation and then challenge. Invitation and then challenge. So the next one is an invitation. Like up until this point, he has said, he has operated with them like you do this and I want you to do that and things like this. And now he moves into a relationship of you're no longer my servants, but you're my friends. And right here in John 15, it says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, if you remember, making you into a fisher of men means he's going to cause it to happen within you. So how are you going to do whatever he commands you? He is going to move upon your heart and cause you to desire to keep his commandments. As you abide in him, you begin to walk in his ways, and then you go and do his works. Verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So no longer is it a very direct dialogue from Jesus to the disciples. It is now we are in partnership and you're going to know my business and we're going to make some of these decisions together. Now he's still leading them. He's still discipling them, but it's a partnership versus a um, versus him telling them all the time. He changes his language from not a hired servant anymore to a friend, and a friend embraces a common objective and shares their life with you. The disciples begin to take communion together with Jesus and with each other. They have more times alone. Like they go out into the crowd still, but then they pull back and they have times with just them to talk about what's going on and what happened instead of this is what you need to do and this is what I did. But actually embracing it as we're friends and you're going to know the father's business along with me. It's a beautiful picture of invitation. And so what does the invitation look like for us? We've walked through hard things with Jesus and with other disciples as we've grown in maturity and intimacy. Like as you walk with other disciples, as you walk in spiritual family, you grow in such intimacy. Once you've all been invited to come and follow him together, and then you're challenged to all die to things, and you've learned to fight for each other's freedom and for each other's family and for each other's marriages and for each other's kids. Like there is a sweetness of friendship, of intimacy that is unbreakable. We have a deep level of trust as we learn to be honest, open, and vulnerable. And we coined that phrase as the HOV lane. Anybody ever been to the HOV lane in Dallas or in Texas? Yeah? Do you move slow in that lane? Nope. 
You move fast. So the more that you have trust with, op- with honesty, openness, and vulnerability, like things move faster with that intimacy and with that trust. And we saw Jesus do it with the disciples. We're walking um, in our identity in Christ and the reality of our freedom. We're growing in confidence of his authority and power that resides within us. Jesus begins to tell the disciples that he's going to leave them. (laughs) So he says, come and follow me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. And then he says, all right, if you want to follow me, now now I'm going to show you what it looks like to die to things. And then he balances back to that invitation of, like, you're not any servant anymore. You're actually co-partners and friends with me. And then he shifts into, hey, I'm going to leave this earth. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? This is not right. But what happens is the disciples figure out, like, as they wake up to the reality that this may really happen and he may actually not really be here, they're like, oh, my, what in the world are we going to do? Like, he's not going to be here anymore to do all the things. He's telling us that we're going to do greater things. Like, how is this going to work? What is it going to do? Do I even have a clue? Have I actually been fit and equipped to do this, to fish for people? And then Jesus dies. And they're like, it's right in front of them. Like, reality has hit, and it is in front of them. They're scared, they're confused. They go back to the thing that's most comfortable, which is fishing, right? He appears in the upper room, or he he appears while they're in the room locked up. He appears uh, at the boat when they're fishing, and he makes another challenge to them. In Luke 6, 40, it says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. In the beginning, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Luke 6 says, you will be like your teacher when you're fully trained. So at the end, he comes and says, all authority has been given to me in both heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that word name just means character. Like you're going to immerse them in the character of the Father who is the source and the giver and the sustainer of life. Jesus, who is the Son that has all of the birthrights of the Father and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am always, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, let me point out something here. The word, go therefore and make disciples. Who makes something? The creator, right? So, Our definition of a disciple, we abide in him and he causes us to walk in his ways and then he empowers us to do his works. That's nothing Gretchen does. That's nothing Kyle does. That's nothing Don does. 
That is everything he does. So you have to go back to the way this verse was written in the original language. And it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on an earth. Go disciple all nations. It's a verb. It's not a noun. Right here in this sentence, that word disciples looks like a noun. But in the original language, it is a verb. And that takes all of the pressure off. Because you are not making anything. But you are going and walking out your obedience to his command in discipling others. Just as he showed you. You have an invitation to come and follow. You have a challenge of we're now going to die to things. You have an invitation of we're no longer teacher and pupil, but we are friends. We are making decisions together. Like what mission do we want to go on? Things like that versus the leader making all of the decisions. And then you go and make. You just go and make. What it looks like is we've had someone investing in us to help us live a balanced life and to sow into us the things of Jesus. We begin to intentionally put God on display together. Now remember, when you've walked through the process of getting connected to him and each other, when you walk through the process of dying to things together and fighting for each other's freedom, when you move into that sweet spot of complete friends and having discussions about what you do, like putting God on display together, whether you're together in a moment or separate in your own world, like it's easy Because you always know you have spiritual family to encourage you, to spur you on to love and good deeds. Like when it sucks and you want to give up, like maybe there's days, I don't know about you guys, so TMI here, but there's days that I wake up and I don't care to be a disciple of Jesus anymore. Anybody ever just want to give up? Because it's like, I am exhausted, I am done. Like, let me just go unhook my umbilical cord from the Lord and I'm going to hook it into myself. Right? Anybody ever have those struggles? Okay. Well, that's what spiritual family's for. They're to say, hey, your umbilical cord's the wrong place. Why are you being sourced by your spouse? Why are you being sourced by the way your kids are acting? Why are you being sourced by your provision that you think that you have control over? Right? But why are you not being sourced by the Lord? We begin to know what it looks like to truly be a disciple of Jesus and to be empowered by the things of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. So this process, come and follow, to come and die, no longer servants, go and make. And we repeat it over and over and over with the Lord and with others as he conforms us to his image as we allow transformation to happen in our lives. Like Jesus is the consistent balance of invitation and challenge. I want to read for you, if you guys want to turn to me, because it is not on the slide, in Matthew 16, 
I'm going to go to Matthew 16. It's part of what we read in Luke 9. But Matthew definitely um, captures the beginning part that's so beautiful in this picture of invitation and challenge. So Matthew 16, uh, we're going to start just in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, is? Like, who, who am I? Who's everybody talking about who I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. And Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered to Peter and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that he should not tell anyone. Right here, Jesus gave Peter a beautiful invitation, a complete beautiful invitation. And the invitation was, Co, like he, he became uh, covenant identity partners with Peter. He said, I am the rock that this church will be built on. But you, Peter, because Peter's name means little rock, are the little rock that will be in partnership with me. Like it's a co-partnership, a joint heir. Then he offers them the keys to the kingdom. He offers them the authority that nothing can, like nothing will be able to prevail against it. It is a beautiful picture of the Lord inviting Peter into a relationship of covenant identity and of authority and of power. And just a few verses later, just a few verses later, verse 21, we'll just start there. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised to the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from me, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter. Jesus turned to the same person that he just gave a covenant identity to, that he just shared his authority and power with and gave him the keys to the kingdom. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Right there, Jesus initiated challenge to him. An invitation of here is your Covenant identity, here is your authority, here are the keys to the kingdom. And then he turns around and says, you are of the things of yourself and men and not of the things of God. And Jesus issues a challenge right there, accountability of putting him in his place. 
but also a challenge of, are you going to rise up to the truth and the invitation that I just gave you not very long ago? It's a beautiful picture of the rhythm that Jesus showed over and over and over of invitation and challenge. Jesus drew the disciples closer and he loved them, but he gave them the opportunity to accept the responsibility of being a disciple of Jesus. Like it's not all about him drawing us close. It's about us accepting the responsibility and the accountability of being a disciple as we remain close. It is has to be both all the time or transformation will not happen. You will become unbalanced. You will become cozy. You will become lazy and apathetic if you're not careful. The invitation is about you being in a relationship and you having access to a person, the person of Jesus, but also people, other disciples, somebody's life and all the vibrancy and the safety and the love and the encouragement that resides there to learn from the places that you clearly see Jesus and to learn from the places that you clearly don't. Like, it's great for you to learn from your own mistakes, but it's wiser to learn from somebody else's as you're connected with him. To say, like, when I talk to my spouse that way, this is the fruit that I've seen. I'm going to choose to discipline myself to not do that. I'm going to die to my flesh, to my emotions, to my feelings, to my thoughts, to my to my mindsets, and I'm going to choose not to. But it's also accepting the invitation that he gives you. It comes with the challenge. It doesn't just come with the invitation. And it's the challenge to live a life of accountability. The accountability not to do good, but to live in your identity as a son or a daughter. It's not about behavior, but it's about walking out who you really are. And that's what Jesus did with Peter. He said, this is who you are. And then later when Peter messed up, just a few verses later, he says, whoa, stop. That is not who you are. Go back to who you were. Go back to the things of God, not the things of yourself. And so I'm going to put a matrix up here for you that shows you exactly what we've been talking about this morning. When you have a high invitation, that means you have access to somebody's life. Like you have access to the safety and the security. You have access to the things that they do well out of their connection and their life union with the Lord and things that they do in their flesh because they've disconnected themselves and they're walking in themselves. You have the opportunity to see their maturity and their growth, but you also have the opportunity in a high challenge environment to be accountable to the things that he shows you. Environments that are comfortable, like today, right? 
You guys got ready? Probably had your coffee or your soda, breakfast. You came in, you strolled in, you got to tell people hi that you wanted to, and you got to avoid the ones you didn't, right? Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> you got to come in and pick where you wanted to sit. You got to uh, put on a sweater if you were cold. You got to raise your hands if you wanted to. You got to sing if you wanted to, right? Like the invitation is great for a Sunday morning for you to come and experience a body of believers and the presence of the Lord, and it is good. But the challenge, beyond the challenge that comes from the stage is almost absent. Like, I can preach to you or speak a word about forgiveness and you can take it or leave it and almost no one will know. Why? Because it's a cozy culture. There's no accountability. You're not accountable to one person, potentially your spouse, maybe, but you're not accountable to one person to own any of the truths that the Lord has revealed to you in a cozy culture. And this is where the majority of Sunday morning worship experiences, honestly, it's discovery groups as well. And I love them. Like it isn't just part of my job. It is a valued part of Grace Church. But it is a cozy culture. It is a perfect place for new people to come in and feel welcomed. Maybe unbelievers, maybe new Christians. But it is cozy. No one is going to stare you down in the eyes and say, did you do what you said you were going to do last week? Because you haven't given them that permission to speak into your life. Just like how Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you a fishers of men. When they said yes, they gave him that permission to speak into their life to say, you need to die to those things. Now, you might be blessed enough. I don't say that prideful. But to have somebody bold like me in your discovery group that might look at you anyway and say that. But most generally, it is a cozy culture and it is designed that way. For people to learn how to just get connected to him and hear his voice. We've lost our ability to challenge people in meaningful ways if we stick to just Sunday morning and discovery groups. Like it is completely cozy. Now for every... For every time that you come into a cozy culture, I want you to remember this. Somebody is paying the price for that environment. It means for all of the invitation, all of that high invitation that's offered for a cozy culture to happen, there is a group of people that is paying the price in accountability and challenge to make this environment work. And it's usually about 10 to 15% of people that come on Sunday mornings. They're the ones here greeting. They're the ones here in rehearsal. 
They're the ones here running sound. They're the ones getting the children's ministry room set up and ready. They're the ones that stay after and mingle and pray with people and encourage them to get involved in things like coming to the picnic and signing up for a discovery group. The invitation is not great for that culture. It becomes a stressful culture. Like you're all invited to be a part of that. But for them to actually have continuous access of somebody where there's a space for them to receive encouragement, rest, downtime, and investment into their lives is low. But the challenge is great. And that's why they fit into a stressful culture. That's your volunteers, your staff, potentially elders, board of directors, people like that. Those that make it happen behind the scenes for you to be able to come in and do what you do for a cozy culture. And I'm telling you, neither one of those did you see Jesus operate in or encourage. Now, I will tell you this. The Lord is moving on our staff in mighty ways the last, I'm going to say, two to four weeks. And he is waking us up to new habits and new rhythms and new ways of living that we will refuse to live in that stressful culture. We will refuse to live there. But I'm still telling you, it is a high challenge and a low invitation environment. But what we saw Jesus time and time again in scripture is provide an empowered culture. He gave a perfect balance between an invitation of come and follow and have this relationship and a challenge of what are you going to do about it now? And that is exactly what he's asked us to do. He's asked us to move out of those three cultures of cozy, apathetic, and stressful and to embrace a culture of making disciples where there is empowerment there. And I will tell you, it's just beginning to start here because those being discipled are not here early every single week. Embracing the fact that they are going to refuse to make this culture stressful welcoming you in and doing those things. Now, some of them are here, but not all of them. Like we have not embraced the full picture that when we can get into that right top quadrant, that we are not just empowered to do the works of Jesus as we're abiding and staying connected to him and looking like him, but that we are the royal priesthood. And that doesn't have to mean anywhere except Sunday morning, that we embrace this level of spiritual family. And that's what that looks like. That is what you saw Jesus do time and time again in his, in his ministry is the invitation and the challenge. The only way that we're going to produce this type of community that Jesus showed us and that we saw in the New Testament with the New Testament writers and the New Testament church is like to embrace both the invitation and the challenge. Like it's a dynamic living organism. It is not something you do. It is who you are because of who you've been with and because who he's made you. Like that is what it is. And as we remain as an authentic community of people that love him and one another, that we want to lay down our preference, 
like where we set our alarm 20 minutes early so we are here interacting and embracing each other and looking at each other and saying, what has the Lord been doing in your life? What is he teaching you in his word? What are you going to do about it? How are you walking it out? Like that's what it's about versus just coming and being a cozy culture. Gavin, you guys can come. It's a community in that quadrant where hearts are opened to the Lord and hearts are open to one another and hearts are also open to the world in need. It's a balance of all three, of the up with the Father, the in with each other and our close relationships and the out with the crowd. With the appropriate balance and the rhythm of the invitation and challenge. Like, I can give a pretty big challenge. That's kind of my natural bent and gifting. That's how the Lord's wired me a little more. But I have to remember, I have to give an invitation. And some of you guys are going to be really good on the invitation. And you're going to want to make a cozy, nice culture all the time for people. But without challenge, they can't grow without showing them what it looks like to die themselves and what it shows, like when they can see the value of the things you're dying from and and they can't embrace it themselves. Like no one creates a discipling culture in their own life modeled on the life and the ministry of Jesus by accident. It cannot, it does not accidentally happen. It's an intentional pursuit which Jesus modeled for us by walking it out with others. Go ahead and stand. So what I want to offer to you, if you've never met Jesus, like if you don't know who he is, you don't know the person of Jesus, I want to extend an invitation to you. If you've never accepted him into your heart, if you've never called him Savior, Like, I want to give that to you. So if that's you, if you'll just acknowledge, raise your hand. Let us know. Like, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know what it looks like to be connected to him, to abide in him, to become looking like him. Anybody? All right. Well, my next invitation is for the rest of you that are in Christ, it looks like. And my invitation... It's for you to make him Lord and not just live at Savior. It's the balance of invitation and challenge. So go ahead and close your eyes with me. I want to pray over you guys. I want to invite you to change your way of thinking. I want you to ask yourself like, Of one of those quadrants, which one am I in? What is the Lord pressing on my heart to move from? If the Lord's speaking to you specifically, if you'll just open your hands and receive. Father, I just want to pray over them as you continue to initiate the rhythm of invitation and challenge to us. 
to get out of our comfort zone, to be the people that you've called us to be, to embrace situations like Peter had to embrace, like the invitation that we are co-covenant in our identity with you, that we are joint heirs, that we have authority, we have power, we have keys to the kingdom, but also the challenge that there are times when we are so self-focused and we are so protecting ourselves and our desires and our wants that we won't make you Lord. So Father, I'm praying over those that you have spoken in their heart that maybe they're in an apathetic, a cozy, or a stressful culture and you're wanting to move them into an empowered culture. I just want you to remind them that they don't do it alone. You're with them every step of the way and there's others of us that have been down that journey and are continuing down that journey to say yes and to grow in you. I ask, like as the new covenant identity within them and you cause them to wake up to these things. As you give them the invitation of the, the balance and the rhythm of the invitation and the challenge. That they will be pit bull focused to pursue the things of you. In Jesus name. You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.